there's a whole fleet of them, look on the ASA. My gosh, they're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of sphere. So this isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast, the other show. We are on KGRA Digital Broadcasting and we are on YouTube and KGRA's Facebook page live right now. Welcome to my co-host Dan, how are we? I'm great, thank you. How are you Andy? I am fantastic uh, and I said broadcasting correct on the second go. Uh, Dan, listen, big show for us today. We were allowed back for a second show, which is always good, not oh, kicked yeah, off lovely. after one. Thank you to everyone who has watched. It was amazing to see the numbers of you that checked us out on the first show and I hope you've all come back again for the second. Hello to everyone in the live chat just now. Myself and Dan will be there to chat to you. Uh, on the show tonight, we have an upcoming interview with Tim McMillan, who is one of the co-founders of The Debrief, very well-known and very well-respected journalist as well. And we'll be sharing our thoughts uh, after discussing with Tim the recent event in San Marino, Project Titan, and all that encompasses that. Uh, before that, Dan, I want to get to some news that's happened within the last week or so, and that, that news broke regarding the bills that are currently going through the Senate. Um, do you want to just bring the listeners up to date or the viewers what's happening regarding the bills? Yeah, sure. So for the first time in, in history, well, for the second year in a row, we're, we're getting some actual legislation going through the, the US government <clears throat> um, to be signed into law. Um, this year is the first time it's been explicitly mentioned in the bills as unidentified aerial phenomena. Um, so so that's kind of exciting to, to get that first. But basically, just after the preliminary UAPTF report was published, we had the Intelligence Authorization Act for uh, 2022 was was published. That that was Mark Warner and Rubio and th those guys. Um, that was known as S2610. Um, and it was basically a, an instruction to all the departments that would, would say that they wanted reports every 90 days um, and proper intelligence sharing. Then a little while later, um, that kind of came at the same time as the San Marino stuff that, that Tim's going to talk about. Um, we had HR 4350, which is the 2022 Na National Defense Authorization Act. These are a bit of tongue twisters. It's <laughs> amazing how you get us all off the top of your head. As well. <laughs> it's really impressive. Basically, um, the first of the two bills has now progressed down the train track, so to speak. There are three stops for each bill. This is the, the second of those stops. Um, and it's transformed uh, into HR 5412. So if you're writing to your senators to say you support a bill, that's the number to kind of quote. Um, and basically, at some point, these two bills are going to kind of smush into one. And then that is what will go on to be signed by the president. Um, the other bill addresses anomalous health effects and things like that, and that's now been pulled into this one as well. So it's, I, I would imagine that the things that are common to each bill will stay. So examining 
anomalous health incidents, caring for those affected by them, proper information sharing, and that's classified information too. Um, those things are going to stick probably. Um, after this becomes whatever it's going to become, we'll have a permanent office that replaces the uh, UAPTF. Um, and I think the bickering will be generally about the public facing information that they're giving out and also about how often those reports have to come, whether it's 90 days or whether it's once every year or once hundred, every 180 days. Yeah, that. Uh, thanks for the update, Dan. That uh, office, when it comes to fruition, hopefully, isn't going to have a weekly podcast or newsletter online or even a website giving us frequent updates. I imagine a lot of what it does is going to happen behind the scenes. What we can hope for is that whoever runs it, whoever's in charge of it, is transparent and we get as much public information as possible. But I think that's a concern that rightly a lot of people have. Um, what do you think the the worst case scenario is with this? Is it likely that or is it a chance that this office gets created and it all goes away again behind closed doors? Possibly. Um, the, the thing is about this that the information they're dealing with is classified, matter-of-factly. So I wonder how much of it they can talk about. But this is where we kind of have to look towards an international effort that's owned by no one country it's owned by everyone um, and all of that information gets fed to scientists that maybe study this information and the trends and the global patterns and things like that um, so that we know even if the public aren't seeing the the data that the right people are and then i really really hope i keep my fingers crossed that that international kind of coalition if it comes to fruition uh has a public facing department because, you know, the, the marketing for this subject over the past 70 years, quite frankly, uh, su sucks a little bit. It's, it's a bit dramatic. It's gone in some crazy directions and indulged kind of some some lesser things, I should say. So are you hoping some little to almost unknown country takes this forward to like the UN, for example, and from that something grows and comes of it? That That would be the first step, right, is to kind of get it legitimized somehow through one country. And then it gives everyone a kind of think of it like uh, like fireflies and a lamp. You know, you turn the lamp on, all the flies know where to go. Well, let's hand over to Tim McMillan and myself for an interview we recorded a couple of days ago talking about such a thing. Joining me for this interview for That UFO Podcast, the other show on KGRA, is a guest who's been on That UFO Podcast several times already. Always appreciate his time. It's journalist and co-founder of The Debrief, Tim McMillan. Tim, how are we today? Good, good. It is always a pleasure to be on here, man. I always enjoy our chats, so it's great to be here. Well, hopefully you enjoy this one, and it's going to be one of our shorter chats, given the, the other ones tend to last a couple of hours. But for KGRA, we're making the interviews short and snappy for now. Uh, Tim, back in uh, the middle of September, you released a piece titled San Marino Could Become the UN's New Geneva for UFOs, essentially detailing how a new internationally-led consortium is looking to take the conversation to the UN. Can you give us a bit of background on the article and how it even came about? <clears throat> Sure. Yeah, I had I, this was something that I knew had was in the works for um, almost a year, maybe a little over a year. There's been a lot of planning that's gone into it, and, and uh, I think some astute uh, Twitter watchers even maybe recall that about a year ago I 
the people were asking me what's coming in the UFO world. And I said, I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if a, if a dark horse, uh, brings it on the international stage. And that was kind of referencing this San Marino thing. And, and what we've got going on here is you, two different organizations that are, uh, one's a European, uh, Italian organization, and another one is an international organization, um, is coming together and they've proposed to the government of San Marino uh, to host a UN, to, to propose to the United Nations a, uh, a conference or consortium, much like you do in a lot of different things. I mean, this is very common, world hunger, uh, you know, climate change, these types of conferences where it brings together the entire uni- international community on a topic. But with this one, it would be on unidentified aerial phenomena. And so it's, it's very interesting in, in two fronts. One, uh, like I said, it, it's not, um, it's not unprecedented. This is something that was attempted uh, before, but uh, didn't go through. But I think before what, what they were trying to do was actually form a kind of United Nations UFO investigative team, where this one would be more like uh, you could consider a a big time UFO conference, if you will, but not necessarily for the general public, but rather would bring a, a place where you would have serious researchers or scientists from all across the world would come in under the United Nations sanction backing, uh, you know, and that serves as almost an incubator of where further policy, different things could come out of the United Nations involving UAP. So it's a pretty fascinating deal because it's, it's one of the first times that we've seen with a lot of the, the coverage that's been on the subject for the last couple of years, this is one of the first times we see it really being pushed on the international stage. The vessel to push that is the Republic of San Marino and uh, football or soccer fans out there will know San Marino for being one of, if not the smallest nation in the world to have an international soccer team uh, who famously don't really win any games, let alone score any goals. It's a very, very, very small, uh, small country. Why is that the vessel to push this forward? Very tiny. Yes, San Marino is a very tiny landlocked. It's a, it's an island inside Italy. And, and I made the uh, unfortunate mistake early on of, uh, uh, I think, calling it a city in Italy. And they were like, no, 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 it's, it's a sovereign nation. Oh, my bad. Uh, it is one of the oldest uh, continuous nations in the world, though. But um, it is a tiny nation. And so, you know, how did it get to that level? Well, the, some of the major uh, backers, the major people who've been pushing this through were uh, groups of Italian uh, UFO researchers. And San Marino has been hosting an Italian conference for UFOs uh, for a number of years. So, so well over, uh, maybe going on two decades or more, they've been hosting it there. So it's kind of this natural fit where you've got this, uh, you've got somewhere that's already hosting this international thing, though it is a, a private function. It's not uh, government, uh, I mean, it's government approved, but it's not government uh, put on by the government of San Marino. But you kind of already have this, this uh, legwork in place. And then in addition to the fact, like you said, it, it's a tiny country that um, other than, like you said, football or if you're in America, soccer fans, uh, you may, a lot of people may have read that article and, and heard of San Marino for the first time. <laughs> you know, like, what? Well, where's that? Uh, it's a good opportunity. And I think that they, they've, uh, the people who are trying to get this approved have, have presented it to the government there saying, this is a good opportunity to get your name out on the world stage. And, and ultimately, if it goes through and you have this large conference of people, it's, uh, you, suddenly have a lot more people coming into San Marino and, and San Marino uh, becomes something on the map. And I think, uh, 
you know, wisely when you're looking at that kind of strategically. I think that that's another reason why they, they pick San Marino, because somewhere, you know, the United Kingdom, the United States, China, we're talking about you know, big time players on the world stage who already have a lot of influence. They may be less likely to take on this, frankly, because they don't need this you know, big time deal. They don't need that kind of exposure. Uh, but whereas San Marino may say, yeah, you know what, let's go through with it. So it, it'll be interesting. I think it's in the government there's hands right now. Um, and and I'm pretty soon, I think within the next couple of weeks, they're expecting to get some type of response of whether they're going to go through with it or not. Now, you mentioned just before and also in the article, this sort of thing has been attempted. It was like 1978, so the late 70s. Mm -hmm. But there was no appetite for the conversation internationally. Not that the UN didn't take it seriously, but just no one wanted to take this further, uh, any further forward. Why is it different this time? Well, we'll uh, it, it's, I think it's too early to say whether or not uh, it's different. Uh, other than we can kind of say that the cultural and just global climate surrounding the topic of UFOs or UAP uh, is significantly different than it was in 1978. Now, you know, we might not be able to argue that, uh, let's say, in the late 50s, early 60s, when the topic was extremely popular, uh, probably at the same levels that it is now. Uh, but when you're talking about 1978, it was definitely something that had kind of uh, fallen off of, let's say, the mainstream minds and particularly in the government's minds. Uh, so it is something that right now is very much in the forefront. And, and I think uh, you're seeing other countries on the international stage start to as well take that uh, kind of lead the United States has taken by announcing that they're going to be forming a, a UAP office, so a permanent body within the Department of Defense to look into this. Uh, you know, their politicians are talking about it. You've got people very openly talking about it. I think uh, that's it's it's kind of like um, they've they've made it OK. It's not taboo anymore. You know, everybody everybody wants to do something or they might be willing to do it. But then it takes somebody else to kind of go first and when you're the United States and you've got the world's biggest global economy and all these things going for you, uh, it allows you to kind of throw that muscle around. So people start following, following that trend. So I think ultimately, you know, it's too early. It's like, is it to tell if it's different from 1978? I would say that the climate and, and the timing right now is different in the fact that, uh, you know, in 78, you didn't have the United States government talking about it. You didn't have them, uh, in fact, they were 10 years off of closing Project Blue Book and their official UFO investigations. Uh, this is the exact opposite now. You're, you're on the cusp of them starting an entirely new program. So it'll be interesting. I, I, you know, the timing uh, is good, I would say, given everything else that we have going on. So those uh, two organizations you mentioned were the Central Ufological Nationale, which I'm sure people can translate themselves, and the International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research, or ICER, as people may know them. Uh, it's going under the guise of Project Titan, and uh, hopefully soon on the podcast I'm going to have Paolo uh, Gizardi on to discuss that in more detail, so look to that one coming in the near future. What do you think the potential of Project Titan could be, though, Tim, if this goes ahead and we get this pushed through, where could it lead? Well, I, I, I think that, that uh, it's one of these things that what the outcomes are kind of limitless because, uh, you know, 
we don't really have a stable kind of ground truth when it comes to UAP, uh, you know, especially not in any one given nation, uh, at least not publicly, but particularly on the international stage. And so it's like any other uh, you know, difficult problem. I mean, you, you saw the same thing when we, with the COVID pandemic, where you have countries coming together or different researchers going on simultaneously that then come together to, to combat a problem uh, quickly and identify information. And so I think that ultimately, if they're able to get through with what they want and they're able to pull together scientists from all across the world, you're going to gain a significant amount of data points and you're going to gain you know, bright minds from all over the world. And that's frankly, you, you almost have to have that if you're going to solve something like this that uh, has been a persistent mystery for decades, perhaps longer. Um, you're going to have to have that. <laughs> you know, you're going to have to actually come together and try to solve that just like you would uh, a pandemic or anything else, because it is a global issue. And I think that that's one of the things that has probably hindered uh, some of the, the UFO research or the UAP research that's, that's gone on over the years is the fact that it's been done very much in isolation as, as if it was a national issue for anyone given nation or region. Uh, but obviously, it's a global issue. You know, if it, if it was only a national issue, then I think we could pretty much uh, conclusively rule that UFOs belong to that nation somehow. But it's but it's not. And uh, I think it could be, uh, if nothing else, it could be pretty eye opening uh, as well, because it, you know, it, it, I know myself when I, when I first moved overseas, and, and hearing about sightings or, or significant research done in other parts of the world and Europe, I went, wow, man, this is not just a U.S. phenomenon. And I think that that, um, that idea really gets set into people is that this is all just a U.S. phenomenon because we hear about sightings. We hear about stuff that's going on in the United States and, and we fail to recognize that this is something that's going on all across the world. Uh, you know, the biggest of nations, the smallest of nations, you know, you name it. Uh, you have these types of reports. And I think that's a fascinating thing that kind of uh, we can latch onto that and maybe turn this into kind of an exploratory endeavor. So now it's like our like how we explore space where we come together there and we put our differences aside uh, and we, we explore it because it's the benefit of mankind. And so viewing it that way, I think uh, ultimately that's what the, the goal, I think, Paulo and those guys have for, for Project Titan uh, I think that it's it's not an easy goal, but but best case scenario that comes out of it, it I, that's where I think you could have some impressive results in the long run. It would be very interesting. I'd love to see that kind of stuff, you know, a real comprehensive type of examination like that. I think selfishly for people like us, Tim, based in Europe, it would also be a much shorter and cheaper trip than heading over to the States <laughs> for any international conferences. So that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> while I mention Europe, I've got to ask you just before we finish up, it's been said that the, the UK government just don't want to have this conversation on UAP, but also are actively discouraging others from having it. What's your understanding of the UK's position from yourself or, or your own sources, Tim? Yeah, no, that's uh, that that's true. And, and a lot of that, I think, it came from has come from my sources. So, so outside of just the U.S. government, it, it was interesting to, to talk to other people uh, at other governments uh, in Europe uh, and East Asia that said that it's it's funny that the U.K. doesn't want to talk about it, and you know if it's uh, if this is something that comes up as, as a topic of discussion in broader 
uh, like let's say intelligence meetings where you would have other services. So let's say like five eyes meetings where you've got the Australia, yeah. the United States and everybody together. The UK has always been like, no, 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 we don't even need to. Let's nope. Let's not even go down that route. Uh, you know, I always caution people that that could be from my end, that could be just what uh, is, is not an accurate portrayal. And it's a limited narrow scope of just the people I've spoken to, their experiences. But I did find it interesting because it was uh, it was definitely the um, the perception of people that I spoke to uh, that weren't just from one agency or even one nation. So that was very interesting. Uh, I think in looking at uh, in this particular, in this article, that's what, what where this came up for me was, uh, you know, it, it came up that the UK may have had something to do with really wanting to put push off the, the 1978 UN uh, push that went in uh, to try to get a UFO investigative group together. So I'm like, man, what is the UK doing? Like, why do they not want to? So, you know, it's interesting. Obviously, nobody has confirmed that for me officially out of the MOD or anything like that. But, uh, you know, it is, I would say, a stark contrast when you see how much the United States has discussed it uh, in official capacities, um, that how to how limited uh what you're hearing out of the MOD or what you're hearing in the United Kingdom. There's definitely a stark difference. And I think that's, that's interesting, uh, particularly when you have other allies that, that have gone on record and coming out. So uh, like Japan, you know, was it last year that Japan's minister of defense, you know, said mm -hmm. that he, he discussed UAP with the secretary, the U S secretary of defense during his visit. So that's very interesting when you have other allies that are, that are expressing that they're either interested or want to know more about it and they want to cooperate. Um, but when, you know, I think almost inarguably uh, the United States closest ally in the UK, you, you would almost, you would expect them <laughs> to kind of, they follow everything, yeah. each other and everything else, you know? <laughs> so it, it well, is that, odd. That surprises, yeah, Tim, that, that's what surprises me with it when the UK follows the US's lead in so much and always has done. This is just something we seem to be so far apart in, which obviously, personally and professionally, disappoints me, but I just can't quite put my finger on it. I, you know, I can't either. And uh, you know, a part of me, so it's a double-edged sword. A part of me, you know, I, I'm kind of reporting what's been said to me or the, how people have expressed that. But then even in hearing that, I still don't fully believe it, <laughs> simply because uh, the UK... Uh, Australia, Canada, the United States are so close to each other in terms of intelligence, particularly they rely on each other for so much communication. It's just so good. It just, I, it's hard to believe that, that it wouldn't be, you know, if this is, if this is a topic that has been expressed, that is something of interest in any one of those countries that the others would be like, ah, we're not dealing with that and neither do you. So I just, so it's like I said, I, I haven't fully formed an opinion there. I, I've heard what people have told me, but at the same time, in my own experience, I just you don't you don't see that. And, and so it may be uh, what is more likely is that these discussions are are indeed going on, but they're going on at a much more uh, close knit and higher level in the UK than they particularly are in the United States. And so that's why you have a little more out of the United States being talked about it. 
folks, the holidays have come early this year as Manscaped have the gift that keeps on trimming. Santa's beard isn't so appealing when it's coming at your trousers and that's why Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming, have you covered this holiday season. Now available in your country, join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com and use code ANDYUFO for 20% off and free shipping. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver, an anti-chafing orb deodorant, moisturiser and toner. This hygiene bundle also comes with a lovely pair of Manscaped anti-chafing boxers, perfect for those cold nights out when you're sky-watching for UFOs. Tis the season to load up on Manscaped products, so get yourself, your dad, your brother or your friends the best gift of all, the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. I can't say enough about the new Manscaped cologne that's redefined. My stepson has been using that and he is loving it so far. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code ANDYUFO at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping folks this holiday season with code ANDYUFO. Clean up your orbs, tic-tacs or saucers and make Santa proud this year. Big thanks to Tim McMillan for joining us for that interview. Tim has been a regular guest on the podcast since it started and I appreciate his time and look forward to having him back on again soon. Dan, there was quite a lot came from this event in San Marino that came out of nowhere, to be honest. Uh, Max Moskowitz, who is a friend of the podcast, he has his own Max Moskowitz channel on YouTube. People should be checking that one out. He lives not too far from there and managed to travel to San Marino and met up with Lou Elizondo for a few days as well, didn't he? We say not too far. It is a few countries away. Um yeah, just, but that's you know, like he, he has that nice open border thing that he can just drive through them and yeah. get there nice and smoothly. Yeah, I, I suppose like when we talk about not too far, I think I'm thinking from a US point of view, where a lot of you watching this will be from, where a, a regular drive, like I've got family stay in Australia and two and three hour drives are the norm, whereas for us in the UK, that's pretty far and usually that's takes you into other countries yeah so max managed to drive to san marino and met up with lou elizondo for a couple of days while he was there and um, broke some news at the time as well managed to get lou's reaction and thoughts and got, got some good on the spot reporting so that was all very much appreciated what were your thoughts on uh, what happened coming out of san marino then dan super 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 interesting um the the bill kind of broke it was before max and lou got into it um, but not that long before. Um, so we were all kind of digesting the language in the bill <clears throat> uh, when, you, you know, Max pops up with Lou to kind of go through it with us. Um, and they they highlighted some really important parts, which we kind of touched on before with the anomalous health effects and things like that. It's super important that those get acknowledged. Um, you know, there are a lot more people out there who have been damaged by coming too close to these crafts or, you, you know, through experiencing something much heavier, uh, like an abduction, then yeah. it should really be looked at and studied. And if people need help, we, we need to help them. Um, so yeah, that, that was one of the standouts of that bill for me, but the San Marino stuff is intriguing. Cause like you say, it kind of came out of left field, but as Tim said there, this is an event that's happened kind of almost every year. Um, but only this year it's kind of got that legitimacy to to attract a few people who whose names aren't spoken, but we, we know they're kind of officials from some places. Um, so there's an air of legitimacy that maybe this is going to be one of those 
kind of conferences every year that that you know scientists will go to is it too simple to say this is all because of what happened in 2017 no i don't think that's too simple at all i I think that's perfectly correct i think that's led us here um the goal of ttsa was to get rid of that stigma and and i don't think anyone can argue that they haven't done that um i can't remember who said it i imagine it was probably lou relaying a story but they he, he said that he was told by someone working in the Pentagon that they now ha- don't have to step into a skiff to actually have conversations about UAP. They can just do it walking around in the hall, which is a big change because people are going to overhear that. And suddenly other officials are going to be kind of going, oh, so there's something to this then. Like, how can I get involved? You know, trying to help along the effort. With this sort of event, we're hoping what comes from it. And we've heard a little on Project Titan there where ideally an international group get together. Who's going to be running that group though, Dan? Right now, the way the UFO charge is being led is very much from a US point of view. And to be honest, you've got to be grateful for that. I know it can be controversial that one country's leading the way so much, but no one else was doing it. So as it stands, the US are at the forefront. Do you think this is the right step going forward that it should be an international effort? And how exactly does that work? Because surely other countries are going to have their own interests at heart. And especially when you think of the big superpowers, when you look at China, Russia, America, and then you start bringing into like continental Europe, Germany, UK, surely these countries are going to want their own say in what's potentially a pretty spectacular issue, but one with a lot of defense significance as well. Yeah, absolutely. You you know, the information gleaned from the data um, of UAP is going to be so valuable to, to anyone that can figure out how to you know make a craft that can do those things even if we just take hypersonic velocities instantly like that ability alone would would give them a huge advantage over their adversaries um i i would say we need to make sure that that international coalition is is away from government and government influence the government should feed into it or there should be like i don't know like a, a, an in, in intermediary um, that kind of looks after the data. Um, I know science projects use it all the time where they'll feed into a, a secure repository from many different locations in the world. And that's probably what we should be looking at here. Um, we've heard them speak about, or Lou speak about AI and applying AI to the data streams. And that's kind of what you'd need to do to be able to do that as well. You know, if you had one pipe coming in from all the different countries, um, that that's where the filter would be. Dan, let me ask you though, okay, so you are one of the superpowers, okay, take your pick, US, Russia, China, you're letting this go, you're letting this go out of your control, or as much control as you have of it, because what we're talking about here is a group of mainstream scientists and potentially previous politicians or just individuals with an interest now getting access to incredible technology, we talked about defence significance, talking about something that could really shape the future of the whole planet and the human race if you you know if disclosure comes of it or it just becomes a scientific study and all it takes is even with with avi loeb you know project galileo imagine one of these independent organizations managed to capture something on film or on camera like we always maybe thought when you first get into the subject of you know imagine one day we had that nasa conference before you get really into the woods with this into the weeds and nasa say here's a picture like independence day where here's the satellite photos of these huge craft approaching the earth 
that's that's taken away from the government and their control and do they want that happening or are they in any position to stop this happening when it goes to that sort of level i think the second question is key there because they definitely don't want that to happen and i i think you you've essentially expressed a really nice concise reason for why you would cover up something like this if you found it um you know you had kind of the cold war going on and the the background of or sorry the the remnants of of the fallout of world war ii um you know you can see why you would you would ignore it if it was this potentially dangerous um to to you know if you've got a craft flying around and your enemy studies it they can kind of study the signature and maybe build the craft themselves so you you've definitely stumbled upon a, a good reason for the cover-up there and the reason i said that it was really important that to acknowledge that a lot of this is out of their control is that when we look at disclosure as a process, there's only kind of so much we can do as a species, you know, even if everyone on the planet knew about it, if the visitors or, you know, I say visitors, but if they belong here, this is home for them. Um, the ball's kind of in their court, you know, they, they could have a mass sizing in the next hour over all the world's major cities and this thing will be blown wide open and the DOD wouldn't be able to convince anyone that it wasn't real anymore. So there's definitely a, a in the age of information and with everyone with TikTok and social media and things like that, uh, there's a huge lack of control over this information. Do you know what? When I first saw San Marino, I was like, of all the countries, San Marino, you know, landlocked, small. I talked about Tim, how it's known for having a very poor football team, a soccer team. <laughs> and and that's that's about it, which is probably doing the country a disservice. But Maybe that's the way it should be because all those big countries, oh, big, that, again, that sounds so bad talking down about San Marino, but they are what they are. They're a very small nation. Should, should we maybe, say countries with ginormous defense budget and yeah, yeah, that's influence it. on the planet? Let us yeah. say that. <laughs> and, and the grand scheme of things, you know, that, that's where they're at. And maybe that's the way this has to work, that it takes a country like that who necessarily isn't scared about its reputation on the international stage because they don't necessarily have one to, you know, they're just there at the moment. They're making up the numbers, they feel. And this is their way to make that statement on the international stage by being that country to really promote this. And like I discussed with Tim, this isn't the first time this has happened. And it was put to the UN back in the late 70s and 78. But there was no appetite for the conversation. And, and as for reasons we have discussed maybe now is the time given what's happened in recent years as well i want to get your thoughts dan a couple of listeners got in touch with us uh, to to get some points on it and luke made the point that from a glass half full perspective he thinks it would potentially help destigmatize the topic it would likely become another source of credible evidence that craft performing far beyond the capability of revealed human tech exists and it would also provide a whole pile of extra content information for those of us that are already convinced, kind of adding to that dossier of evidence. Also, from a glass half empty perspective, uh, Luke thinks the political tension between the world's superpowers is probably far too great for them to allow anything scientifically meaningful to be revealed via this forum, which I think kind of goes along with one of the points I was sort of making. What, what do you think about what Luke's saying? Yeah, uh, Luke is, Luke's done one of the call-ins, right? Is it, is it the same Luke? um i oh it might not be the same look um, i can't remember oh, we've got... hi, hi to the second look then right we discussed this didn't we before dan two things right 
the batteries ran out on this after someone having a dig <laughs> at Dan's batteries running out. Mine's mine mine is far too bright. I'm just going to switch this on just yeah. so people can see. Like, yeah, I mean, can't that is, read the text. Yeah, element 115 levels of radiation coming <laughs> off that, as, as Dan said. Um, my mine one is just broken, so I will get a new one for the next show. So apologies, folks. Uh, the other one is we have lots of listeners who get in touch with us that all seem to have the similar names. So we've got several looks, Carl's, Joe's. Uh, yeah, so it looks like they're all duplicating questions, but we've got a few looks. But I'm digressing now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it might, may or may not, Dan, be the same look. But yeah, crack on. What are your thoughts? Um, I mean, I'm I'm all about the the glass half full with it. You know, this is a a road that's been been built for a long time. I know we we had a UNF that wasn't successful before. I think it was really interesting that Tim was saying that, you know, he, he'd heard rumblings that the UK had maybe stopped that discussion as well. Um, and, and I hope they don't, don't, don't do that this time. But the, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, ISA comes from, it, it's like a Chinese initiative. Is that correct? Oh, I couldn't correct you on that. We could pause it and pretend we knew but we'll just have to find that one out separately but was that not one of the rumors so at the time was that china wanted to bring this to the un because they saw the you know the control the us had on the subject that they wanted to wrestle some of that back yeah and i mean that that's what i was gonna suggest you know you you can see the the arm wrestle already playing out and both sides are very you know they they have their reasons and they both feel justified, but we we know there's kind of something more insidious underneath that. You, you know, no no one makes a nuclear bomb and uses it just for energy. They they had to use it to fight, right? Well, uh, let's get to Dave's questions on this and his thoughts. Uh, Dan, Dave wants to know: Do we think that Project Titan is potentially part of a coordinated strategy that Lou Elizondo and Chris Mellon are mounting? I mean, it's. It's one of the gears, right? Um, I, I don't know if people have heard Lou talk about the gear shifts and the the five pillars of emphasis, but the the international conversation and this part is certainly certainly part of the plan that was considered by Lou and Chris Mallon early on. I you know they they're smart people. I can't imagine they they just considered the USA. You know. Yeah, and th- this San Marino event isn't something that happened over the last couple of months or weeks. Back in February. Lou Elizondo was on with Sean Cahill, who is a, a friend of our show as well. Hi to Sean. And uh, on Ryan Sprague, somewhere in the skies. And Lou mentioned right at the end of that particular interview that there was potentially international efforts coming and we should keep an eye on this. That This is what he was talking about. And that was back in February. He dropped a hint on that. So this stuff has been in the works for quite some time. It doesn't just happen over weeks or you know a couple of months of pressure. Or are people chatting online? Uh, this is stuff that's going on in the background constantly. And I think, again, like so many have mentioned, there are, we, we talk about Senator Harry Reid and the work he's done over the years that's been very public. That's probably 5% of the work he's done in total because everything else goes on behind the scenes. And no doubt people like Harry Reid get knocked down a lot and have to get back up from it. And I can only imagine people behind the scenes have lost their political careers because of this subject and the way they've tried to approach it and get it out there so we can only appreciate and hope there's a time we can thank those sort of people as well but for me yeah i think lou elizondo and chris mellon are some of the the faces of this movement 
and I can get people can get sick of their names being mentioned, but it's really hard not to in a modern setting to not talk about them as much as 30 years ago when you talk to UFOs, everyone mentioned Roswell. It's just what you do. I feel there are probably others involved, well, there definitely are others involved whose names you don't hear of or don't hear of yet that will come to the fore as, as this topic moves forward. Um, Dave also uh, mentioned, do you think if successful, it will outflank the non-disclosure elements attempting to suppress and gain back control of the UAP narrative by making it an international effort? Yeah, I mean, that that's the other thing about spreading the, the, the efforts instead of it being focused in one country is that if one country decides, yeah, we don't want to be a part of this, it's still going on without them. You know, they, they're just going to be left behind. And, and I'm hoping that that's kind of the position that the UK ends up in, where they'll they'll be last. And then once they recognize that everyone else is kind of going for it, they'll go fast, you know. Dan, why doesn't another country that we have, let's just pick one out the hat, Mexico. Why doesn't Mexico come out and disclose what they know about UAPs? Well, even even if they don't have the tech or, you know, like the, the, maybe the big, big events that one of those governments could just come out and say, do you know what? Yep, we have objects or craft coming from what we believe is outer space from somewhere else visiting or have visited Earth. And, and that well, would be it. Lay that on the table and leave that for others to deal with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know about Mexico specifically, but I know that the US isn't first. Uh, France has had uh, an investigative team for a long time now that produce reports. No, um, I, I mean one, one of those one governments. Argentina. Um, they, there's a lot that kind of gets reported around the world, but there's nowhere for it to kind of go, you know? No, no, um, no, I, no I, don't, I don't mean that. That's, that's still reporting and that's still, let's investigate or let's still look at cases. Or I mean, one of these governments comes out with no ifs, buts or maybes and tells people, we know that aliens exist or entities exist that are not human and they visit or are from here, etc. Why hasn't that happened yet? not reporting and not little bodies and stuff like one of these governments could have done that couldn't they uh yeah i mean i suppose so but again without kind of knowing what we're dealing with it's hard to talk about it and no one wants to say i don't know right everyone wants to kind of say oh we encountered some lights in the sky and we shot it down and we've now got this magical bonus that, that we earn or you know something like that so they do don't want think... to just say our country is completely outclassed by something that we can't even identify in the sky you know so at, do you at that think point, that's what it goes it back to a then? blind spot that gets exploited by adversaries okay so so you're taking it back to and we've discussed this previously that it would be almost an embarrassment for any country to come out and have the discussion we all think they would have, but have to answer a lot of press conferences questions with, we don't know, we're not yeah. sure, maybe, and they would just look really silly. So it's better to just not say anything than come out and give us 10% of, of what they know. Yeah, probably. I, I mean, like I say, we'll probably see a bunch more countries who have been quiet in the past starting to talk about this. We've already had, you know, Japan, uh, Ch China who have a task force and they're applying AI and the same stuff. Um, so it's just a case of someone going first and kind of having that weight to what they're saying instead of it just being stories. You know, Mexico could have come out 15 years ago and said, you know, we saw something off the coast of California and there were Nimitz ships there and carrier fleets and blah, blah, blah. And the US would have just denied it and they would have looked crazy and just lost a lot of respect around the world. So 
I, I think it's definitely something to do with that. And I suppose these conversations to get to that level have to bubble up from somewhere to the surface. Sure. And how many levels of bureaucracy does that have to go through to go from, you know, me and you talking in the halls of some, you know, government building to it going to a group and then a committee and then someone takes that upper level and then it goes to a motion and then it, yeah, so it would be hard to get there. So it's not just as easy as... I mean, Lou, Lou had to literally resign. He He was working on the inside and, you know, Ross kind of emphasized how important Lou was in the intelligence community. Um, so if he wasn't able to kind of get up those ranks and had to resign to to get his resignation and the the bit in the letter saying, you know, I, I can't do my job with you guys treating the subject this way, then the the likelihood that, you know, any one person or someone less kind of, you know, big than the US, uh, it, it just wouldn't lend it any legitimacy. The, the US kind of had to go first, I think, uh, just because they're everyone's big brother, right? Yeah. And you know what? That was Dave's third point. Uh, he wanted to know, do you think the US will feel the need to jump on this bus and engage with the UN process? And could that lead to a transition to a more international approach to the phenomenon? Yeah, definitely. That that would be the ideal way for this to go, right? Uh, I don't. What I don't want to see is for the US to kind of make this Department of Anomaly resolution and then for that to just become a closed shop, you know, it becomes a, I don't know, maybe they have a cool building and it just becomes, you know, kind of how we, how we think of MI5 here, you know, just that cool building on the side of the Thames where we know they do cool stuff, but no one knows anything about what goes on there. They, well, this is a, a, an issue that all of us need the data on. Well, hopefully uh, Paolo Gazzardi, who is one of the leads of Project Titan, will be coming on the main podcast soon. So look out for that one. I'm in uh, discussions with him just now over a date and time to get him on to talk a bit more. So again, thanks to Tim for that interview on his piece as well. Check that out at thedebrief.org. Dan had one more listener question before we move on to the last segment of the show to look at a bit of footage. And it was from Andy, again, not me. Uh, Dan mentioned in the latest podcast update that the new US bill will look, require intel agencies and branches of defense to provide info into the new UAP office. Does Dan think it will also require the same of the US Department of Energy? The info they hold could be key. This is something, Dan, that Tim, on my very first interview with him back in, in May last year, mentioned on that podcast. And I don't think it had been talked about too many times at that point at all that the Department of Energy is the place where Tim would be FOIA requesting stuff from. And that's where a lot of this key information could be held. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you know, history goes back. I think they were called something else, the Atomic Energy Commission, I think, way back when. Yeah. Um, and they've changed their names a few times, but they've always been this separate department. You know, they, they're not under the DOD IG um, or anything like that. It's kind of its own separate thing. And they actually look after their own kind of classification process so you know it's kind of like if, if they do have cool toys there um then they're the ones that get to decide whether they share those with us or not and i i can't imagine they would um but that's actually shifting from uh next year i think it's february maybe april um but they actually have proper oversight from then onwards which which kind of makes me curious because the timing is interesting right um if all this stuff is going to start coming out and that's one of the sources maybe they have some paperwork that shows yeah once we did have something anomalous but 
we handed it over to one of the private companies and we haven't seen it since, you know? Or is this enough time between now and then to get rid of that paperwork that would show that sort of stuff? I mean, it might have just been lost as well. You know, it doesn't even take anything malicious here. Um, if it went into private industry, they're going to be looking after it. They're going to be doing their experiments and stuff on it, trying to figure it out. But we all know what government paperwork is like. Uh, even in the modern day, things go missing. Stuff gets left on trains in the UK. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a bit it's a bit lax. Um, so yeah, that paperwork could be completely missing. Um, no no malintent required. Dan, we'll move on to the last segment of the show, which I, I'm enjoying already because it's the listener footage that gets sent into us. And this footage is from Glenn. If you want to send us in any footage, email ufouapam at gmail.com. I'll get the ticker running along the bottom just now for the last part of the show. I should have had that on earlier. Rookie mistake. Dan should have told me, basically. Yeah. Um, but no, I forgot to put that one on. But then it's all running at the bottom now. Look at that. Not distracting it's anything. Now, yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Take take a moment, breathe breathe in that information. Yeah, not uh, and Dan's knocked his mic as well, so take a shot, um, <laughs> folks. This was sent in from Glenn. Now Glenn filmed this with his phone from the ISS live camera. This is one of those guilty pleasures of mine. Now the footage, you're not going to see a whole lot here or, or detail necessarily, and we've got some ideas of what it may or may not be, but let's add it into the, the stream. Just, just to check, this is Glenn filming his screen, right? Not Glenn yes. in space. Yes, Glenn was not the astronaut uh, filming <laughs> this, yeah. So this is Glenn taking uh, some footage from the ISS live feed. So we'll hit play on that one. And what you're going to see is the, the kind of objects moving along. There's some dots now, I, we have some more footage to show as well from this kind of stuff, but I find this like a little bit of a guilty pleasure when you see these like ISS or NASA footage or any kind of astronaut or something taken from space. Dan, what do you think? Now, Glenn's obviously wondering, are these some kind of craft or, or something to that ilk? What are your thoughts? I mean, these things, we, we've heard that these things enter the Earth's atmosphere from the ceiling of the radar which is eighty thousand feet um so i would be very surprised if at least one of these videos uh sorry if if all of these videos were fake there's got to be one of these out there that actually captures something anomalous um which one of those that is uh is up for up for debate because uh, there's a lot of stuff in space that just looks weird but it isn't that weird you know it's just because you're not acclimatized to it so here's here's a good view uh, of some of these lights moving along um or some of these objects moving along now at a glance especially i don't have the date or anything of this but straight away i, I start to think starlink satellites maybe possibly it, it's hard to tell because they are just dots right yeah you know it, i it's mean hard you to want to say they're saucers or something but you can't um but that did prompt us again glenn thank you for for adding that in um, cool that video. did prompt us to look at some other footage and do you know what was really frustrating dan and i thought we could find it really really easily that i'm sure we've all done it when you've went down that rabbit hole online of oh here's an interesting video oh and i'll watch this one oh and i'll watch this one and the ones that youtube automatically recommends you are the ones you can never find again i've watched plenty of these montages of nasa filmed footage of ufos etc fleets of ufos in space and i couldn't find any of the ones i wanted and dan struggled as well um 
because they all it's seem to be replaced. And this is frustrating, but in a, maybe in a good way as well. There was a lot of videos of the the US military ones, the Nimitz, Princeton, the Go, Gimbal, Go Fast, the, the Corbell footage was there, whether people are happy with that or not. There was a lot of the newer stuff. So I think that at least shows from the YouTube algorithms that people are engaging with the, the newer stuff. Yeah, and, and, and the um, searches were quite loose terms as well. It was like UFO, yeah. space, you know, astronaut, and that was it. And no third phase of the moon popped up, and that's a delightful improvement. Absolutely. So I'm going to add the next one in because we wanted to talk about this. This is a, a pro, quite a famous piece of footage now, um, and it's you've probably seen uh, potentially this already. So this is a shot of the Earth from space. You know, I don't have to tell you that much. But what you'll see are some objects coming into view and then moving and changing direction. Now, there's a whole lot going on here, Dan, but I was talking to you beforehand, wasn't I? Where these objects come into view and you normally expect satellites and whatnot to fly along and go one direction, which there's a lot of stuff that just seems to move in one direction. However, here we seem to get a flash of light and then the object shoots off at a pace, which we'll see just here. Um, it's been it's been circled within the footage. You normally would not expect a, a satellite to do that, but you said otherwise to me, Dan, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, that's a fast speed. So those satellites can maneuver. You, you know, they kind of have air thrusters and things like that, that they can just go left instead of right and so on and so forth. You you generally wouldn't see them move that quickly. Uh, that that's astoundingly fast. You know, we we have we you can see the curvature of the Earth there. Yeah. Um. That's a large area. That's a size. I mean, if that is a ship, that's a sizable ship as well. Um. And yeah, it just it holds ass, quite frankly. Yeah, and they shoot off like, and there's the the flash just beforehand as well, and then of course you see the object belt off at an incredible speed. What are, what are your thoughts then, Dan, if you had to again go on the fence on this one? Is that something anomalous, shooting off into space? I'm I'm going to go not on the fence with this one. I'm going to go... If, if I wanted to kind of indulge and kind of say, okay, what, what are we looking at here? Let's, you know, that's a UFO. It moves at a crazy speed. We, we don't have anything in space that can change direction that fast. Um, it looks to me like the UFO comes in, is detected something is fired and then it avoids and that's kind of the the more out there theory of this right is that that's what's filmed and and do you think there is that chance that we do already have some sort of defense system set up against some of these objects i'd be very surprised if we didn't because even a rudimentary defense you know we, we don't need these full-blown force fields from star trek to mount a defense we we've heard the um oh i forget the gentleman's name in unidentified spoke about being able to use depleted uh plutonium shells to to hit them out of the sky um yeah from the italian conference yeah that's right the, there's no way if if those guys know that and they don't have access to all these like amazing technologies o over the decades since you, you know this kind of phenomenon has been more widely spoken about. Um, then yeah, I would expect some kind of space fence or you know something like that to to sense and hit them away, whatever they're using. 
Dan, just time for one more quick question before we finish up from uh, Gnosis, who is one of the Patreons. And if you sign up to the Patreon, you get access to the Discord server, where Gnosis is always in there in the various different threads as well. Um, from your last roundup, you spoke a lot of celebrities going into space and eventually Joe Public, and this being the reason to start a soft disclosure, as they would all spot UFOs. But between all the crews of the Mir and ISS, we really have very little coming from the astronaut community taking out Edgar Mitchell. Is this because of NDAs, personal sensing, or are they just not seeing these things come in from space? Well, you've got to remember that every second you're in space, it's trying to kill you, right? It, it's not an environment that anyone can survive in naturally. So anyone that's up there, except for when they're sleeping, they probably have some very, very vital jobs that keep everyone alive. So in terms of how often they get to just go and, you know, stargaze out of the window, I can't imagine it's that often. Um, you know, they, they do have cameras up there and they are directed to take pictures um, and things like that. But it would be of specific things. You know, they're not just like if you and I were, were on the space station, we would just sit by the window, right? Just staring out the whole time. Um, that's where we'd have our meals. That's where we'd sleep. But they, they don't get to do that, unfortunately. I've got a phobia of heights. I would be there rocking back and forward or just floating in midair back and forward, crying that my tears be, yeah. as they float up to the ceiling. Um, and, and the idea that when you're up there, it feels like falling all the time as well. It would just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, um, folks, we had some more footage that we couldn't get to this week, but we will get into next week's show. Next week, we'll be, we will be joined by author Graham Rendell, a friend of ours and part of UAP Media UK. Check that out. He is going to be discussing his book on the Foo Fighters of World War II. If you get a chance, our new interview this week on the podcast is with the wonderful Kurt Jaimungo from the Theories of Everything channel on YouTube. Kurt's an incredible guy, really intense, massive intellectual, and new to the UFO subject, but coming in with a really fresh and unique perspective and very keen to learn. So please check that out. It's available early access and ad-free on the Patreon service. Check it out below. Same on Apple subscriptions. You can click and get a two-week free trial on that as well for the same early access and ad-free content. Until then, Dan, thank you for joining me. Thank you. As always, it's uh, it's great to be on KGRA. And thanks everyone for watching. See you soon. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, UAPAM. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see.